Tonight I want you to open to the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 6. You might not have known it was Numbers 6 or not, but we have turned to that on many occasions when church was over, when our meeting was over and we were getting ready to go home. And we spoke this, I did, I spoke this over you because that in verse 23 at the end of number six, this is the way God told Aaron and his sons to bless the people of God, to bless God's people. He said like this, bless them. Now I'm not a Jewish person. I'm not of the Aaronic priesthood. I don't have any claim to anything like that. But in the sense that Aaron, as a priest, stood before the people to bring God to the people and in prayer bring the people to God. You might be able to make something out of the priesthood in the Old Testament would correspond to ministry in the New Testament. I'm not trying to make that case, but I wanted to say this. If that's the way God wanted Aaron, who was over the people, to bless the people, then I would like to think that in the same way, we can use the same words and bless you. Now, we're not a stranger here. I pray that we're not. We're not a stranger to blessing, a message of being blessed. Because the Bible speaks of blessing far more than we could cover tonight. If we just started looking at verses in the Bible that had to do with blessings and being blessed as God's will proclaimed for his people, we would be reading a lot of scripture tonight. But you don't have to read a lot. You can believe a little bit of this and you can still be blessed. God wants us to be blessed. He really does. Now, there's not a lot of Christians, I don't think, in where I've been perched for the last 40 years, I don't know that a lot of Christians really believe that God wants to bless them. I think, like in my family, my parents probably lived without the reality of the blessings of God for so many years and generations. They just learned to live with whatever came your way, you know, roll with the punches and that type of thing. And I don't know that they ever really knew that it could be better, that it could be different than just the usual, that there is more for God's people than just the regular status quo in life. And, you know, this may happen, you never know, and you might be next. And I believe it's better than that. And I believe when God told Aaron to bless the people, for he says in verse 23, speaking to Aaron and to his son, saying, on this wise, or like this, you shall bless the children of Shelby, uh, uh, excuse me, children of Israel, saying unto them. Now let's read it tonight. Let's study it tonight. Because when I read this to you, or when you read this again, I want you to try to have a better understanding of what God meant when he said these words, because there's a message in each one of these things he said. Something good is in everything he said. Now, if we don't know that, it's just a, a religious saying, a little cliche, some kind of a little thing you say at the end of a service without realizing that this was the way God wanted his people to be blessed. Now, he is the blessor. We are the blessed. And he wants us to understand that he wants to bless us. And he said to Aaron, on this wise, I want you to bless my people. And the first word he uses there in verse 24 is, and again, this is God's will. You know, a casual liberal could not say this is not God's will. Because God himself said, this is how I want my people to be blessed. And in fact, what he says here, only God can do it. Only God can do the things he says. He says, now, the Lord bless thee. Number one, the Lord bless thee. Well, I want to be blessed. I think you want to be blessed. I want to live a blessed life. Don't you? And for any kind of a critic in the world out there, I'm sure they wouldn't be here tonight, but wherever the critics are in the world that think we just major on this blessing pack of plenty plan, and all we do is talk about goodies and blessings, well, there's nothing wrong with it. 
Of course we talk about trials and tribulations and hardship. You know that. But we got to mix with that message the other side of the coin. That God really is on our side. That he really is for us. That he really does go before us as our champion. That he really does make a way. That he really does, he really does, he really does because he can. He doesn't have to. He chooses to. And the first thing he said was, the Lord bless you. Now, in the Hebrew, the word bless used many, many, many times in the Bible. It means to make happy. It can mean to make successful. That is, when God blesses you, the effect his blessing has on you will be happiness. You'll probably smile. You'll probably enjoy your day and maybe enjoy your life when God's blessing you. Or to be successful, I'm sure you would like that. Or to prosper in whatever you're doing in life, to have good success, for things to work out well. How many of you know when things go well with you and God is backing you and promoting you, you're being blessed? Well, that's the way it's supposed to be. I'm not here to put down people who aren't blessed and who are living on barely get by street next to Grumble Alley. I'm not talking about them. But I'm saying to them as to you or anybody else, it can be better. Because God has already stated and his word is forever settled in heaven, it'll never change. He's already said that he wants you, his people, to be blessed. Now I'm all for that and I thank God for it. Turn to Deuteronomy 28. We're going to come back to a number, so you might want to put something there. But look over in the next book, Deuteronomy chapter 28. I think this is a wonderful chapter in the Bible. I really do. I think Deuteronomy 28 is a marvelous chapter in the Bible. You know why I think it's a marvelous chapter? Because it's in the Bible. There you go. Deuteronomy 28. He said, it shall come to pass, this is what's going to happen, that if you will hearken diligently, carefully to the voice of God, and you make a choice to observe, to do all of his commandments, which I will command you this day, that this is what I will do, that the Lord will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. Notice verse 2, and all these blessings. Are you okay with that? Listen to me, all of you. Out there, wherever you are, whoever you are. If you can't respond with some kind of a yes to that, there's something really dull and dead in your life. Because this is not my word. I am not making it up. You got a Bible. You can read it. All, verse 2, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. He didn't even say you had to claim them. He didn't even say you had to, to hold fast and find out. He, he didn't say anything about all of that. He just said all you have to do is listen to what God says and be willing to do it. And God is willing from his side, if you're willing to participate in what he said and do what he said, he is willing. God is willing to bless you. Well, and then he tells you how. Don't just think, well, I don't like to be blessed, but here's the way he said it. Here's the way he said it. All these blessings shall come on you and overtake you. But again, if you hearken to the voice of the Lord, that's the condition. You'll be blessed in the city and in the field. I don't know where else you could be. You bless your children, verse 5. He'll bless your basket and your store. That, I imagine that's the kitchen and the freezer and the refrigerator. And verse 6, you'll be blessed when you come in. You'll be blessed when you go out. And again, I don't know where else you could be. you either in or out. He said, you're blessed. No matter what you do, no matter where you are, no matter where you go, you are singled out for blessing. Boy, I like that. I really do. I think that is marvelous. Verse 7, the Lord shall cause your enemies that rise up against you to be smitten before your face. They shall come out against you one way, and they shall flee before you seven ways. Now, you don't have to be afraid of that the people that are your enemies, all the weapons that are formed against you. God says one of the blessings that you'll have is that they don't know why, but they're going to flee from you. They're going to fear you. And verse 8, you've got to like this. 
I mean, this is one of these pause and think about it verses. The Lord will command the blessing upon you. Now, I'm saying all of this to point out that in Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24, he said, the Lord bless you. When Aaron said, the Lord bless you, all of this is involved. The Lord bless you. Everything you do, wherever you go, however you do it, the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, blessed going in, blessed coming out, whatever you put your hand to will prosper. He says it all in this chapter, in the 11th verse. Look at verse 11. The Lord will make you plenteous in goods. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with you being plenteous in goods. Nothing wrong with you having abundance, as long as abundance doesn't have you. It's God's will. Like I said, even a casual liberal would have to admit that it's God's will. Like in verse 12, he said, the Lord will open unto you his good treasure, the heavens. He has a treasure in heavens. Bible said, speaking of Jesus, remember this, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Sounds like it was a pretty good place he left to come down here and he's gone back to a place that's so big that he says that there's windows up there that can be open and a blessing can be poured out upon you, whoever you are that believe, that will be so abundant it'll be heaped together, pressed down, shaken over, and running over. And I do believe. I believe all Christians should be blessed. And before somebody exaggerates that and takes it to where I didn't go with it, well, I guess you think everybody ought to be rich in faith. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that at all. I just said, I think every Christian should be blessed because the opposite of blessing is curses. It's either or. And you function better, you look better, you sound better, you attend better when you're blessed. You really do. Remember Psalm 1, blessed is a man, a righteous man, a man that endeavors to do right, stay away from anything that would affect his relationship with God. He said, blessed is the man. And then he goes on to describe the blessing. He said, he shall be like a tree planted by the waters. His leaf will not fade. His fruits will be in his season. And whatsoever, I think it's Psalms 1-3, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Amen. You know, I find it because this is on my mind a lot. Of course, I preach a lot and I study it a lot and go through these things and reference this for 40 years. Some of it, I hope some of it sticks. I have learned that God wants to bless me. I want you to be blessed. Sometimes I drive, I, like, you know, I want all my family to be blessed. The Bible said, and your children after you. I want my family, I want all of my family to be blessed. I do. They may not know how to operate in all of this yet, not all of them, but I want them to be blessed. Sometimes I drive by uh, the little shop downtown here, and as I drive by, I said, I speak a blessing on that place, that the Almighty God will bless them with good customers and good products that they're going to come out of there with, a fair trade, and that everything will go well, and that the blessing of the Lord will rest on these people. That the people will come out of there happy, and the owners will come out happy behind them. Why not? Everybody looks better when they're happy. Or I see Jay's little car, you know, the dent thing, and I say, Lord, I pray that everything he does will be exactly right, and God will bless him as he goes in and comes out, that he'll prosper him. Drive by the farm, see all that out there, I say, I speak a blessing on this place. I remember when I lived out on Buzzard Roost, somebody said, well, you have a graveyard there that, you know, this place might be cursed. And I think it was within a day or two. I headed up the driveway with my Bible, started at the mailbox on the inside of the property. I walked hand on the fence all the way around, went to the end of it, went down to the back side there behind the coxes and went over there to the garrets and walked back that way to the Bohannons and walked all the way down through there as far as it would go to the other side and walked back to the house preaching and confessing, breaking curses, anything. I don't know what's gone on in this family for eons of time, but I break every curse that's ever been committed on this land. And I asked God to bless every post in the ground, bless the dirt, bless everything here, and no evil shall befall this place, no crime, no hurt and pain and ugliness ever. I went through the whole thing. You know why? Because I can. 
as a believer, I have a certain kind of authority hard to teach, but we have authority. God has made us the head and not the tail. God has put us above and not beneath. We're seated in heavenly places with Christ. He said, whatever you will to be right on this earth, God will will it to be right in heaven. And whatever you permit on this earth, God will permit it to. If you don't know any better and you let the devil do that, well, that's what you get. That's where most Christians are. So I realize that I have rights over what he gives me. Every time I'd get a new car or get a used car, I'd pray over in Jesus' name. No accidents and nobody would be hurt. Stuff like that. I believe all of us can drive by anybody's house in the church. As you drive by, just say, Lord, bless that place in Jesus' name. Bless them today and heal them and make things well with them. And whatever their problems they're facing, I ask you to give them wisdom and give them good results. I want all of us to have that. I'm just saying that the effect of all these years of walking this way and experiencing this in my life, I want it to affect everybody else. I think we all should live this way. I'm not anybody's standard, but God is. And just like old Jehoshaphat, when he read of David's first ways in in 2 Chronicles 17, when he read about the first ways of his father David, he began to live like that. And the abundance of blessings on him was immense. Immense. And so Jehoshaphat said, well, I'm going to teach the people. You remember the story? They went out and sent all the best teachers he had throughout all the Israel and Judah to hold meetings in all those places. And God said not an enemy would invade them. There wasn't even guarding their walls. They were in Bible studies somewhere. And the enemies of Israel would not even cross the border to invade them because God was taking care of them, because he can. So they were blessed. They were just blessed. I think that's wonderful. Psalm 1 talks about the character of a man who is blessed. Blessed is a man who makes good decisions and honors God with his life and his decisions. A man who's learned what is right should live right. And when he lives right, God says, well, that's the righteous thing to do. Listen to what he said in Psalm 5 about that. For thou, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. You got to like that. God will bless the righteous. Listen to this one. You, you don't have to turn to this, but Psalm 65 and verse 4. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causes to approach unto thee. Even an ultra-liberal would have to admit that God, by his power and his might alone, is able to do that. A best-educated man, the most organically healthy man, the best-fed, bug-eating man in the world could not come up with this. But he says, blessed is a man whom you choose. And the man that you cause to approach unto thee. Listen to what he says. That he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house. His house is where the windows were raised and the other stuff came out. Well, you know, I'm all for that. Lord, bless my house. Bless my home. Amen. And he does. And he does. Well, what he said in Psalm 103 about being blessed. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. This is my response to the blessing. And then verse 2 of Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. And soul, don't forget all of his benefits. Well, the church today won't even hardly acknowledge it. And he told us not to forget it. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities and heals all your diseases. Because they don't belong to you. God didn't give them to you. They're not yours. Blessing belongs to you. Amen. Second thing he said in Numbers 6. Oh, I hope all y'all get blessed. I hope you have a blessing fit. Whether it takes the mail or some good event or a loved one gets saved, whatever it is, I pray that something will happen and you'll remember that God is in charge of the blessing pack of plenty plan. And you'll get blessed and just go, whoo, it's just kind of a yell. When's the last time y'all yelled good? I know it wasn't Sunday because I was here. 
You know why people yell? Because they feel good. I mean, I'm talking about in Christian circles. I'm not talking about some battle out there where soldiers are running and yelling at each other. They're scared. That's why they're yelling. But you know why God's people, when a meeting going on and Spirit of God begin to move and they take off running, dancing, or yelling, you know why they did that? Because they're blessed. Now, you contrast that person who goes home with a smile on his face and says, man, woo! <laughs> now, you compare that to somebody that, what time is it? How long are you going to preach? I'd rather have that shouting person than that poor old gloomy soul, wouldn't you? Amen. 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 Secondly, he said, the Lord bless you and keep you. Oh, man, get ready. You might want to put your tennis shoes on now because you might take off running. Well, maybe you won't, but anyway, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. It just simply means to preserve you, to care for you, to watch over you. This is one of the reasons that we have faith in God is because what he's promised, he not only is able to do, he's willing to do it. He said he'll keep me. He said he would keep me in all of my ways. Listen at this verse in Psalm 121 and verse 4. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. How many of you grew up in a traditional church like I did and, and had hymn books and we sing, God will take care of you. None of you did. Well, in the church I was in, we had hymn books. And there was a song in there. In every way, I think, somehow through every day, he will take care of you. I don't know who wrote that, but he probably knew what he was talking about. Many a man or a woman has found themselves in a hard place in life where it didn't look like things were going to turn out well at all. That you're going to really go to the bottom this time or you're going to really fall apart. And lo and behold, God sustained you and kept you and gave you a testimony and gave you an opportunity to tell other people, you know, don't give up. Don't give up because God said he would take care of you. Listen to this one. You know this one, Psalm 91, 11. For God shall give his angels charge. It would read like this. Now concerning you, God will give his angels charge to keep you. Now, would you agree that God wants you kept? That the mission of angels, at least one of their missions, is that they are assigned by God to God's people to take care of you. I'm sure there's things that we can do that break that barrier there so we're not taken care of because there are conditions that we have to live by. But regardless, the word of God says that he assigns his angels. He charges them, gives them the responsibility of taking care of you. How many times have you been taken care of, all of you that spun your car around and turned over and went upside down and you're still well? We've had that happen, uh, seems like recently. And how many of you have told testimonies where just one more inch and it wouldn't be so funny? Spinning around and almost turning over and people stopping in front of you and this and that coming up or terrible things could have happened. And yet God saw to it that you were spared and that you were kept and that you did not die nor were you injured, but you were kept. Now that has to excite that on the inside of you that says, praise the Lord. God took care of you. Because he said he would. He said this is part of the way he's going to bless us. Now, if he wants Brother Tom to be kept, Brother Tom says, then keepest thou me. So be it. Be it unto me according to thy word. God said he would keep me. Help me when I get on the road, drive down the road, or do whatever I'm doing to be mindful of the fact that I'm not alone here. I'm not alone. 
Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I will be with you always, even till the end of the world. And if he's with me, he's with me for a reason. And one of the things he says, the reason is, is that he wants to keep me. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. And he takes care of them. He delivers them. He does. You ought to be thankful for that. Amen. Or as Hebrews 1.14 talks about angels or ministering spirits. There's a lot in the Bible about angels, but there's also a lot of people who get into angel worship and they get into angelology. And next thing you know, everything has to do with angels. It's not about Jesus anymore, but it's about angels. So I don't want to say any more about it than that, except that God has put them there for that reason. And they're there for our good, Hebrews 1. Now, we'll say this. It is because of the truth of God's willingness and his statements about keeping me and protecting me that I can have confidence in God. It'll be a test of my faith. Do you really think he will keep you? Do you really believe God will take care of you and protect you and deliver you, that his angels really are here? You really believe that? that he'll give you a chance to act like it's so when everything out there says, oh, I don't know about this. This doesn't look good. Well, it doesn't have to look good for God to be true. It doesn't have to look good for God to be true. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans 8? Would you turn to Romans 8? Paul wrote in Romans 8 and verse 31, he said, what shall we say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? Do you find that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 13? You have somebody on your side. I've already said that. That God will protect you and take care of you and keep you and deliver you. That's his will. That's the declaration of his word. That's what the word says. Now, you may not believe it. You may not be inspired by it. But it's true anyway. And it's true, not because we believe it. It's true because God said it, but it will become a reality to those who believe it. For everybody else, it's just beautiful poetry. But for a believer, it's life. Look at verse 38. He said, for I am persuaded. This is what you come to because you believe this message. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, those are the, the demonic hosts, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor Muslim terrorist, or anything else shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see the phrase there, shall be able? God, by an act of his will, his choice, he has secured you. He has made you one of the reasons he is good to this earth. And as long as you're on this earth, the blessing of God will be on this earth. See, I believe in the rapture of saints, of overcomers anyway. When those believers who are looking for the Lord's coming and not just satisfied with going to church, but they're looking for his coming, that's the only ones he's going to see. Him. In Hebrews 9, that's the only ones that will see him, but those who look for him. When he comes, they'll be caught up to meet him in the air. And then there's nothing else on this earth that will commend the earth to God as far as believers. I think it's 2 Thessalonians 2 that then come with that evil one. And he comes with a vengeance, but it's all part of the plan. It's Jeremiah 30, the, the day of Jacob's trouble. Horrible, horrible times happening on this earth and can't be stopped. And God's vengeance will be outpoured. His wrath will be poured out on this earth in a measure that has never been realized or even agreed with by Bible people. And you really don't want to be here. I ran into a brother once who was, uh, he called himself a manifested son's believer. He believes that he was going to cause the tribulation period. Because he was going to go through the earth and he was going to do this and he's going to do this and he's going to do that. And the devil's going to try to do this and he's going to put the devil. And he said, you know, and he said, I'm going to cause the tribulation to come. 
And I said, well, if you want to stay here, that's your business. But for me, I'm going to catch a hat, which means I'm going to go up in the rapture. And uh, I'll write bye-bye on the bottom of my shoes, but that'd be pretty arrogant to do that. So I won't do that. I won't write anything on the bottom of my shoes. (laughs) But back in Numbers chapter 6 again, and third thing, he said he will make his face shine upon you. What a wonderful idea because it means something. The phrase, make his face to shine upon you, is a common saying in the Bible, always with benefits. There is something about what that means. Because you see, this is how you recognize people. You recognize people by their face. You come to know people by their face. Now, you haven't seen God. But he has manifested and revealed himself to you in such a way that you know about him. You know what he's promised. You know that he is honest. You know he's faithful. You know that he watches over his word and on and on and on. Now, you know that. And so it's like he is showing you who he is and teaching you his ways as well as his will. And when the Bible speaks of his face shall shine upon you, it's talking about his presence. You're becoming familiar with him. Remember Moses said in Exodus 33, he said, my presence shall go with you and I'll deliver you. And he said, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. There's something about who you are is the factor that changes things from bad to good. The fact that you're here, you're with us, and we're going your way, doing things your way, means that we're going to win. Because if you've said something, you will do it. You will not change your mind. Now, men have tried to change your word, but we've just stayed with the old truth, these old paths that you started on. And if you said you will do it, we just believe that you will. We believe we can trust you to do what you said. Shouldn't we? I mean, we are Christians. That God has brought us together to show us what we can believe and show us what he's going to do. Well, the more we learn about him, didn't Jesus say something like this? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Was it Job that says, Job 16 or something, he said, Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Or draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. I mean, it even talks about the knowledge of God in 2 Peter chapter 1 as what's going to change the course of our life and our success is knowledge. And yet knowledge doesn't mean that we actually see a face, but God has formed in our heart the image of who he is and what he is. Israelites were never painters. There were no sculptures in Israel, no painters. So there was nobody ever painted Jesus or made a statue of him because they would worship that. But he begins to reveal himself to us just like Jesus said, learn of me, learn who I am. You'll find me to be like this. And when you let me rule in your heart to where you desire to be like me, it'll be no longer you who live, it'll be me who lives in you. And life will take a course that people will ask you a reason of the hope that is within you. How can you be so sure? You ever had folks say that to you about your faith walk? How can you be so sure? Well, God help me if I'm not sure. Didn't he say here what he would do? All I have to do is count on what he said. As long as I've got that in my heart and I'm convinced, not because it worked for you, but because I'm convinced that's what he's going to do for me, I don't need anything else. That's why I don't need any pills or anything else because I found one. Y'all still here? You've heard the gospel. The fact that God says his ways are beyond our ways. If thou canst believe, all things are possible, but only to those who believe. So praise the Lord for that. But then he said, you know, he'll make his face shine up upon you. Would you turn to Psalm 27? I want you to read with me Psalm 27 and verse 8. Psalms 27 and verse 8. He said, when you said, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Now, what did he mean? 
Did he mean to try to seek the image of what he looked like? Or did his face a way of saying, seek who I am and what I have? Draw near to me. Didn't Jesus say it like this as far as revelation? He said, he that hath my word in John 14, 23. He said, he that has my word and keeps it, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved by my Father. I think it's in verse 23. He says, if you have my word and you keep it, he said, the Father and I will reveal ourselves to you. I think this is what his presence is all about. The thing which prompts your confidence and your your peacefulness, which is coming up here in a minute, your peace with the Lord is the fact that you just know that God will do what he said. So when he said, seek ye my face in Psalm 27, he said, thy face, Lord, will I seek. And then verse 9, if you read the whole Psalm, you get more out of it. But in verse 9, he said, Lord, hide not your face from me. Make me aware of your presence at all times. Don't leave me in a state of spiritual limbo like a lot of people that I don't know for sure. I've been to church all my life, but I'm not real sure. Well, God wants our relationship with him to be sure. God wants your professed relationship with him to be sure. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. Now, that's why Paul was faithful. That's why he didn't languish under pressure. That's why he didn't cave in when things weren't exactly his way. When he was in a jail cell in Acts 27 for a day and a night, had been beaten on and pummeled and rebuked and despised and hated and persecuted and lied about and cheated. He just smiled. In a jail cell in Acts 16, he just started singing hymns. Listen. He had something we all should have. He had the security of the knowledge of the presence of God in his life. And if God is there with him in the scene, whether in a jail or driving down the road, then he should be able to take no thought. He should be at peace and, and he should have joy and victory there. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and another psalm to Israel, he said, I will show you my face or seek my face throughout Israel's history as recorded in the Psalms and other places in the prophets. God often challenged his people to seek his face and to have his face shine up on them. For example, in Psalms 31 and verse six, the psalmist said, make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake, because that's going to happen. Salvation is going to come because you're going to know who you're dealing with. You're not going to be saved by a stranger. You're going to know in whom you have believed. And he's going to become your friend, your savior, the one who abides with you and makes his abode in you. Psalm 67, listen at this, verses 1 and 2. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among the nations. Interesting. Lord, show us thy face so that we may know the right way. Lord, draw nigh to us, manifest yourself to us, let us experience your presence in our little earthly dimension so that we know we learn to trust in this. And he said, in this way, Lord, your way will be known to us. And we won't just wander through this earth, wondering where we're going and what's going to happen next. And then Psalm 80, verse 3 said, turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. There is some connection between God saying, seek my face, making his face to shine, that equates to salvation, to a divine connection. And when God told Aaron, I want you to bless my people like this. Now, they need to be taught what all of these blessings mean, as we're trying to do tonight. But I want you to bless them. I want you to say, Lord, bless you. The Lord, keep you. The Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. 
Listen at this one in Psalm 119 and verse 13. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant and teach me thy statutes. Could it be that when the face of God, to use that phrase, when God's face shines upon you, you will learn? Then we should pray, Lord, make your face to shine upon us tonight. Make us to be aware of the fact that you are right here, right now, willing to do something that I really need and what I came here to get. Make me to know that. Make it clear to me, Lord, so that I can know. Let me ask you a question. Why would God hide his face? Because the Bible speaks to that. Why would God hide his face and bring desolation or confusion or some dismal experience or living experience? Where you're just dragging around, living in fear, always dreading the other shoe to drop. Why would God hide his face? Does he ever hide his face? How far are you from Isaiah? You ever been to Isaiah? Take a trip over to chapter 59. Knock on the door, verse 2. I know you'd like that. Isaiah 59 and verse 2. Listen at these words. It give you a good reason, a good understanding of why God's face is hid. And why so many people don't have a good relationship with God. Or maybe no relationship. Listen. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. There's nothing that God cannot hear or do for those who think, well, you know. Verse 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Is that what your Bible says? then why does God turn his face from it? There's other verses that say this, but this one's good enough. This covers it all. Why does God hide his face from us and take away that opportunity or that privilege that we have of being drawn into a deeper spiritual understanding of who God is, affecting our life and our ways? Why does he hide his face from us when we need that so bad? Well, he hides his face from us for one simple reason, sin. There's nothing more devastating in a man or a woman's life than sin. It could be as simple as he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him it is sin. We get so busy. We've got so many important things to do. And the first thing we tend to set aside is God and what he wants. We can always do that tomorrow, can't we? Do it some other time. I'll listen to the tape. We don't need that. Iniquity would describe this kind of a life, a selfish, lawless life. And so we begin to take for granted the promises of God. People take their salvation for granted all the time. They think because they've been in church for 30 years, 40 or 10, 5, 50, 100 years, they think because they've been a church member going to church, they're saved. That makes you saved. That's not what the Bible says. There's far more to it than that, isn't there? Let your light so shine before the world that others may see your good works, yet we might be afraid of what they say to us if we do something good. That could be sin, couldn't it? Let me tell you all something, all of you. When things don't work well for you, it is never God's fault. Me or you, anybody else, it is supposed to work. We are supposed to be blessed. We are supposed to have good success. It's all about how we relate to God. And we can't relate to God unless God relates to us. You can't know God unless God lets you know him. You don't believe that, do you? Who will God disclose himself to? Believers. Who does God draw? Or how are we drawn out of the world and out of the miry clay? By God. How are we seated in heavenly places? By God. How does anything good happen? It happens because of God. Back to our text in Numbers 6 and verse 25, he said to make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Grace is the most marvelous of subjects. Among the most marvelous of all the subjects in the Bible. 
because grace describes the good things that happen to us. That's the way they happen. They happen by grace. Grace means favor. The first cousin of grace is mercy. Mercy is sympathy shown to the undeserving or having pity on those who cannot have pity on themselves. Mercy is applied by grace. Grace is an act of God whereby he does for you what otherwise could never be done. Grace is such that if God doesn't do what he does, it'll never happen for you in your life. Grace is what brings joy. Grace is what brings peace because those are two things that belong to salvation. And for by grace, through faith, are you saved. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Every good thing you've ever experienced in your life came from God. All the good times he spared you, delivered you, kept you, healed you, saved you, turned your darkness into light, it was all because God was gracious, kind, merciful, and favorable to you. And I don't know that it ever means you were worthy of it. Now, God does respond to grace. When you're gracious to other people, if God has been gracious to me, should I not be gracious to you? You see a brother have need and shut up your bowels of compassion from me. How dwelt the love of God in you? If God has loved me, should I not love you? If God has helped me, should I not help you? Am I not a living ambassador, representative of God on this earth? We are. Grace is that wonderful time when God bends down to where me and you are. And in some of those lonely, painful nights, he flips the little switch and it stops hurting. Grace is what's sent the healer into your life or the message of the healing or the life or salvation. Grace is when you pray for God to save your son or your daughter. And your son or your daughter desires being saved about as much as I would have trying to swim across the ocean. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they want. There's that time when God's time comes and he deals with that lost child. He just walks into their life with that hammer. Remember our hammer? He walks in there with that hammer and goes, bam. I remember that hammer, June 30th, 1968. I'll never forget it. Bam. All of a sudden, I don't care how many thousand sermons you ever preached to me, there's nothing more emphatic Nothing more personal than that moment when the hammer fell. His word was like a hammer. It doesn't have to be a spoken word. It could be the word he speaks to your heart. I mean, an audible word. Because in your heart, he could say, you're dying and you're going to hell. If you die tonight, you'll spend the rest of eternity languishing over your sins. And bring fear. Trouble me. Yeah, isn't there such a thing as godly fear that brings repentance? And suddenly your troubles, it happened to me, your troubles, oh God. And then it doesn't matter what people think of you. You know, how could you, being the basketball coach and all, you know, the way you lived in your hometown, God brought you back. You can't get saved in your hometown. I'd go somewhere else, get saved. You go to Shelbyville, I get saved. No. You're going to get saved where you made a fool of yourself right here in your hometown. Just as I am without one plea and Sister Bonnie is headed to the front. But that, uh, you know, and it happened. That's grace. I don't like to keep talking about my past, but I was a miserably wretched soul. I could do all the personal social stuff, knew how to do all of that. Hi, how are you? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. do all that. But inside where the real you lives, chained to those cages and chained to those sins, bound to yourself, I was a wretched sinner. And one day, for no good reason, there was no reason for God to do what he did in my life. 
No reason at all. The hammer fell. Bam! Oh, God. I can't be saved. I'm too bad. Just as I went forward here, I went down front. He just grabbed me out of the aisle. My feet didn't even touch the ground. Took, yeah, I'm making this up now. I just encouraged, firmly, divinely encouraged to make a move. I keep telling myself, if he could do that for me, he could do that for anybody. I don't know a youngster or a middle-agedster or an oldster. I don't know of anybody whose sins have gone so far or they sin so much or so bad that God cannot save them. He saved me. Chief of sinners. The apostle Paul, he was headed up to Damascus to round up me and you to drag us outside and kill us. Threw a bunch of them in prison and mocked them and tortured them and had some of them, had some of them killed. And God saved him. It would be like God saving Khomeini. He's not a happy camper right now, I don't think, but who, whatever Muslim big dog is running the show, it'd be like God saving somebody that's that bad. You say, how could, because of grace. Grace. We are never down and out in this life as long as there is God speaking some way to you and you being able to say, I know you can do this. And God can just take a little bit of faith. If you had faith as a what? You would say to this tree, it didn't take a lot. And it can work. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The greatest need I've ever had in my life. God met it through grace. June 30th, 1968, five minutes to 12, on the corner of Water and Harrison Street in Charlestown, Indiana, 47111. That was the day I made my entry. My head was bowed into the kingdom of God, afraid of you all, afraid of what's going to come, afraid of school starting again. Oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I want to be a Christian. It turned out all right. It turned, it turned out like the Lord said it would. Next thing he said, lift up his countenance upon us. Well, his countenance upon us is similar to his face being shown upon us. But countenance probably has to do as much like with what we just said, his presence and his favor together. It comes in a package. God is the one who does this. Now listen to this, Proverbs 16 and 15. In the light of the king's countenance is life, and his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain, which was a good thing. In the light of the king's countenance is life, and his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. You know what else he said in Psalms? Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. That doesn't mean would you stand to your feet, we're going home. That's not the joyful sound. The joyful sound, well, that's another sermon, but blessed are the people. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. Well, obviously, his countenance is light, has to do with light, which is the opposite of darkness. So if you're walking in the light of his countenance, you know where you're going because he's leading. It has to be like that. It's either light or darkness. You're either in or out, up or down. And if his countenance is what reveals the way, then it's speaking about his word that comes from him, bringing his favor and his presence. I mean, all of these things run together. But this is how God wanted the people to see him. Aaron, say this to my people. The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord do all of these things. So the people would sit there and say, amen, I want all of that. I want all of that. But this is what he's talking about. Listen to this, Psalm 21 and verse 6. For thou hast made him most blessed, most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. Well, it's some kind of discovery. You can't just say countenance has to do with his 
personage or his appearance. But it's a spiritual dimension. It's something about the way God is with you. The way God is revealing things to you. And it's not darkness. It is light. And you know where you're going. And confidence comes. And you're expecting his favor. And you're walking in joy and peace again. Because he ends by saying, and give you peace. Back in Numbers 6. The last thing he says, and not only be gracious unto you and lift up the light of his countenance up upon you, but he says, and the Lord give you peace. Now, in closing, peace. Peace is what we all want. Peace is what nobody in the world seems to have except for the few who believe God. Peace literally means the freedom from mental agitation. Peace for us would be like the opposite of stress and anxiety and worry. Things that make us fret. Things that make us get confused when we hear the Bible. Well, how, how can this be? It's not working for me. I don't know what you, how can this be? This is what happens when you don't have peace. When there's no peace in a person's life, there's a lot of fear. To live a troubled life is to live a life without peace. To be afraid all the time. To be afraid of many things. To be afraid of darkness and be afraid of the snow and be afraid of diseases and germs and whatever is to have no peace. But when you have peace, when in your heart you have, as Philippians talks about, the peace that passes understanding, he said the same peace shall guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Who in John 16, he says, my peace I leave unto you. I give you my peace. Well, if we have peace that comes from God, how should we then live on this earth? Should we not live persuaded? What are we going to be afraid of? You can't, you can't have peace with the Lord and be scared all the time. Sure, there's moments of fear. When the car is spinning, when things are out of control, or what's that? Yeah, I mean, you have to deal with that. But God has given you promises for everything, including that. And it should bring forth peace. Peace. Having peace that God will take care of you. Like you said in John 14, My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Neither let your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It would be like the Lord saying to us tonight as I close. What are you troubled about? What are you worried about? What are you so upset about? What are you so anxious and caring about? Why are you wringing your hand? What is it? Is it money? Is it the economy? Is it, is it bills getting paid? What is it? Is anything too hard for God, he would say? Can you believe that God will take care of you? I'm not saying that you've got a lot of bills, some things that God led you into. A lot of times greed got us into trouble and then we're worried about it. He might want you to let it all go. You'd be surprised how many people didn't ask God for a lot of things and they got in trouble later on and complained to God because the things didn't work for them. It wasn't God's fault. Church borrows $10 million to build a new building and then can't pay for it. Do you believe that's God's fault? I tell you what, I'd still rather live in this place. God's met us here many times. I'd much rather meet here and owe no man anything. And if the Lord came, we'll be ready to go. No notes to pay off, gone, out. Wouldn't you? I'm not saying that that's the way it works. I'm just saying I'd rather be like that if I had a choice. But a lot of people, oh, no, we're going to have church. We've got to have it this way and have it that way. Well, it's a show now. We're no longer trying to make disciples. We're trying to get visitors to pay for this thing. I don't know if I believe that. People want to do that. That's fine. I got no dog in the fight. I just believe that God wants us to live in the light of what we have been taught and expect God to do what he said and then let him just give you peace about being content with what you got.
living where you are. Going to Israel when things are nuts over there, he said, I don't know if I'd go over there now. Why? Why wouldn't you? Well, the booger man might get me while I'm over. Well, if he got you, it'd be a good place to get got. <laughs> wouldn't it? Well, what if you got blown up while you're over there? It'd be a good place to get blown up. I would rather think that we have authority over getting blown up. We have authority over booger men and bad people. I'm not going to carry me a little bag of rocks around in case one of them throws a rock at me. I know I'd be tempted to throw one back. And just be at peace. What are you going to do when you get older? What about your health? What about it? Is God big enough? Is he able? Can he? Will he? Then whom should I fear? What should I be afraid of? God before me, who can be against me? I want it to be like that. I want it to work like that for me. I want it to work like that for all of us. Amen? So, in speaking to you tonight, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Here in Shelbyville Christian Assembly, all of you that are here and out there also, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord.